It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Broering. It's presented, as always, by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. Each and every week, we talk about sports topics of local interest, which right here in the dead of June, there isn't much going on. So I'm curious to where Rick takes this podcast. Uh, Maybe a national topic or two. We occasionally have gambling, which we have a lot of once football season starts. Then you can ask me a question on any topic. Hit me up on the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. I'm actually on vacation. I'm in beautiful Orlando, Florida. I'm visiting my daughter, who works at Disney World. Got a chance to watch her work the crowd firsthand last night, Rick, as she did... She does parade security. It was kind of it's kind of funny to watch, and it is the happiest place on earth until it really isn't. When um, I really had an enjoyable time, I rode rides with my other daughter until about uh, six o'clock, and then the decision was made to go over to Epcot to stand for three hours to listen to fifteen minutes of whoever Adina Manzel is singing music uh, live. It was not good. I mean, it sounds right up your alley. It truly it's completely does. up my alley. And the thing is, I was really good all day, and they actually kept complimenting, "Dad, you've you've been in a pretty good. You've done okay." And so they could they could tell I was. So they really I was, pushed their limits. I they did. They knew they pushed their limit. I was seething by the because then the other part is then you're leaving the park with everybody else to hop the monorail where it's crowded, kids are crying, everybody's tired and mad, and then nobody smells good, and then it's another twenty minute walk to your car. So. To their credit, they kind of just let it go. They cracked a joke in the car. I kind of giggled at it, and they said, are you really mad? I go, I'm not happy. I said, you guys pushed it as you usually try to do. Yeah, we didn't think it was going to be that bad. Three hours to listen to a woman sing for 15 minutes, and I don't even care about her music. It sounds quite delightful, but hey, at least you got to see uh, your daughter that's been away working hard down in Orlando. So, Yep, we're going to play golf. We're going to play golf today, and then tomorrow's her birthday, and we are going to attempt to do the drink around the world. Nice. Yeah, yes. I've heard much about it. I've never been to any of the Disney stuff, but I hear about that often. Oh, you probably will one day, my friend. You probably will. Yeah, and that's what that's exactly what I'm saving it for. <laughs> All, All right. right, what do we got? Like I said, I'm interested to see where you take this it, podcast. I'm interested to see where this podcast goes as well. And with you being on vacation, it might be a little bit of a shorter one anyways. But uh, we'll start here. The Reds have lost four straight since we last talked, which makes it a five-game losing streak overall. The team is now 23 and 44, which is 14 and a half games out of first place. And quite honestly, unless you have something to talk about, that's probably where I can end the red segment right there. I mean, (laughs) I don't know what you want me to say about them. Yeah, I I think we're early for deadline talk. Um, But I I think you still really, if you you have to start formulating those decisions pretty quickly here of, of who you in with, who you out with, what tough decisions will you make? Because this team, honestly, it's just so stinking boring to watch. Um, you know, my last two starts for my guy, Graham Ashcraft have not been great. You know, you still have the ups and downs of Hunter Green, which is fine. I mean, I get all of those things, but if you're a real fan and, and, and I'll be honest with you, I'm just a journalist. I, you know, I grew up in Cincinnati. I've certainly followed them for years. I, I, I've talked about my dad was a Dodger fan. I somehow then became a Padre fan and into adulthood. I, I certainly watch the Reds, follow the Reds on a regular basis. I have a vested interest as a journalist, I guess, but I, I can't imagine being a hardcore fan of this team. What enjoyment are you deriving from this right now? That's exactly it. The team stinks, and they stunk so badly right away that there was never any point in being interested in their overall record and the results of the season. You look at, I mean, heck, you had the ownership group saying crazy things on opening day. You had Tommy Pham slapping Jock Peterson in the outfield, and yet they still can't remain interesting at all. They have no one on their team that's really worth watching. And if you're looking for like an individual performance to, to latch onto and say, well, at least maybe this guy could win a batting title or be tops among the leagues in home runs or something like that. Some guy to just kind of be like, well, let's root for him to have a great season. There's not even that. I mean, there's, there's nothing here on this team worth watching or rooting for right now. No. And then, then we debated a couple of weeks ago, or maybe even last week's podcast, the whole decision moving forward on, what to do with Tyler Stevenson, and you finally have a, a an all-star caliber catcher at a really important position, and we're already talking about making a position switch with him because we're afraid of injury. I mean, th- th- you would think at least there's some excitement there of, hey, that's that's the Johnny Bench of the next 10 years. That's the building block. No, better not get him hurt. Let's try to move him position-wise. That, that may, I, I just I don't know how you get this fan base ever back if, unless you spend money eventually. I, I don't. I just don't see people people swallowing hard going, can't wait for those five guys from Dayton to come up. I just don't see it. Yeah, and then you look at the numbers, and it's like 
they saved a handful of million this year compared to last year. I mean, it's not that it's not like they even cut payroll a lot. It's not like they have a young roster that they're working with. I mean, there's, there's just not a lot good that can be said about this team right now. You mentioned looking at the, the trade deadline and they need to start making those decisions. Now, let me ask you this. Have you really learned anything about those guys that might be on the trade block? If you're talking decisions. I think Luis Castillo, I've learned that I want to keep him. I, I do. I, I've, Tyler Malley, I've learned that it's just a flash, and it's just going to give you once every four or five starts where you go, damn, let him become someone else's problem at this stage of the game. Yeah, fair enough. I, I just, I mean, I, I feel like both of those guys, to me, if you're able to get anything of value for them, they're both guys that I'd be looking to trade, especially just because this is looking like a, a serious project that you have on your hands in terms of the rebuild. So I'd look at the young pitchers and going forward with them, but I don't think it's worth keeping any of the more experienced guys around at this point, personally. Yeah. And then the, the problem is though, let's look around this whole club. You know, you, your first baseman is an albatross hanging around your neck. Um, you know, Kyle farmer is not a long-term solution at short, although I do love him. Him. I do love to watch play. He's just a good old dirt dog. You know, Brandon Drury's not a future piece. Um, Matt Reynolds is not a future piece. Uh, Colin Rand's not a future piece. Tyler Naquin is not a future piece. Hell, I don't even know if Nick Senzel anymore is a future piece. I, I've, I've about I've about had my fill of him as a player, too. Tommy Pham's not a future piece. I mean, Rick, we're talking about literally maybe maybe starting with Tyler Stevenson and Jonathan India, and that's se- that's seven position players that you got to figure out here in the next few years what to do with to go along with this young pitching. And we still don't even know if the young pitching is going to be great or not. It's, it's not a great picture when you start painting it and what the Reds have laid out in terms of the groundwork for their path forward. And I do. I feel so sorry for the fan base because it has been loyal. It has tried. It wants to believe. It wants to be all in. But it, listen, if the Bengals are going to take you to February that draws you interest in, in draft time and free agency time and, and even into OTA time, and then you have about three-week gap before training camp starts before you really start missing sports in general – um, the Reds are going to be a bad afterthought. They really are. It's sad. That's just what it is at this point. Let's uh, switch gears here. Bet Online AG sent out its regular season win totals for college football. So we're going to play a little over under here, Skinny. We'll start with the highest win total posted for the local teams. That's the Ohio State Buckeyes at 10.5 wins. Are you going over or under 10.5 wins for Ohio State this year? Yeah, I think I'm going to go over because it gives me the wiggle room. And this is just regular season, right? We always ask this question. It does not include the Big Ten championship game, I'm assuming. Correct. Yeah. I think I'm going to go over. It gives me the wiggle room of a loss, which can happen to anybody. And I think they've got a legit chance to run the table. So for them, I'm, I'm, I'm going over and feeling good about it. I think the fact that Michigan smacked them in the face last year is bodes well for this year because it gives you then that extra incentive a little bit. Um and there's just not a lot of questionable games on the schedule, in my opinion. I, I, I yeah, I, I'm going over for Ohio State at ten and a half, and I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna feel good about it because I've got a game wiggle room. Yeah, I mean the fact that they have Notre Dame at home and they have Wisconsin at home definitely helps because those and are if you two remember, of the tougher Rick, games. Yeah, Rick, if you remember, we did uh, this what three or four weeks ago, where uh, we did I think the UK opening game, the uh, UC and the Ohio State, where they had some opening lines for their opening games. They were what a fourteen and a half point favorite over Notre Dame, which I think is a crazy number, but it also shows you how comfortable Vegas feels like they're going to win the game at least. Right. And I mean, you know, we, we watched it last year. Anything can happen, especially early in the season when a team's trying to find its footing, but yeah, you start looking down. I mean, at Michigan state in theory is a tough game at Penn state. I mean, unless they're going to lose one at home, those are kind of the games you're looking at that you'd mark down as potential losses for this team. So, uh, Aside from that, you're asking for either a home loss or just kind of a significant upset that you wouldn't see coming, period. I'm with you. I think I'm going to go over here at 10 and a half and say they they only lose one game. Yeah, and if, it, if they somehow had set it at 11, I probably would have passed just because of the potential of anything. In fact, if I could find a way to buy this down to 10 to give me the potential of a push, if something goofy, I, this that team's not losing three games. It might lose two. I don't think it will. Um, one is certainly possible, but if I could buy it down to 10 for a little insurance to get a push off of that, I think that's probably what I would do. All right. Next up is Cincinnati. The Bearcats total is nine wins for the season. I think I'm going over because it gives me, 
it gives me the wiggle room of a loss at Arkansas. They, they win their other three non-league games pretty easily. And then I've still got the wiggle room of two losses to a push inside the league. Yeah, sign me up for over on that one, too. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I mean, this is really asking for multiple losses inside the AAC. And like you said, if they pull off the win at home over Indiana early in the year, which I only which throw I think that- they will. I think they will too. I only throw that isn't as a toss up just because things are going to be very different for this. Yeah, UC that's fair. Team. So yeah, 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 yeah that, no, that, that's right. You're right. That's within their first four games. You could see them taking some time to figure it all out. And Indiana, you would hope is going to bounce back and have a stronger year this year than they did last year. Although I don't know that they're very good still. Yeah. So, I mean, even if you're saying they lose those two big out of conference games at Arkansas home against Indiana, you're still talking about a little wiggle room here going into the the AAC schedule. So, yeah, I think I'm comfortable with going over on nine wins as well. Yeah, nine and a half might make me back off a little bit. Agreed. Nine, like, yeah, nine, like I said, I could push it nine and three and be, I, I'll live with that. Yeah, I feel very good about saying, okay, I get my money back if they lose three games. I don't think they're going to lose more than three games. I don't either. Yeah, I don't either. And I feel better that they'll lose two or less. Agreed. All right, let's take a look at Kentucky now. The total for the Wildcats, seven and a half. I like the over. Again, I'm, I think we're, we're, we're probably trending in the wrong direction with all the overs. I think 4-0 is more than feasible. 3-1 and one at worst outside the league. Um, they do have to go to Tennessee this year after Tennessee came back to their place. Um, obviously, Georgia's formidable, but I, I honestly, I think they're a better program than Florida. I think they're, I think they're clearly the second-best team in the East. And you could argue Tennessee might be there with them now because they're on the come. But I still think they're probably two rosters that are similar. They lost that game last year and still won nine regular season games. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going over. And especially when I feel like 4-0 inside the or outside the league is a – I mean, 3-1 is a definite. The Louisville game's always a toss-up, but they've owned Louisville of late. So, I, I'm, I'm going over the 7.5. I, I feel 9-3, and 10-2 is more of a possibility. You're looking at the schedule, and it feels about six wins or so are guaranteed here. So they they need to win one or two of those toss-up games that are remaining. And I think there isn't a game on the schedule where you say they don't have a chance except for maybe that Georgia game right right at the end of the year. So I'm with – I mean, we're homers. We're definitely homers here looking at this, but – Again, I'd have a problem. to. If, if anything, I would just leave this alone. I'm definitely not looking at an under for any of these teams, really. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I can't. I, I honestly can't fathom an under case for any of the three, you know, barring catastrophic injury, of course. But no, I I, I don't. And it's seven and a half. Like I said, when I feel like four and in play outside the league and there's Vandy and there's Missouri, I mean, you know, and I think they I think they have a better roster than Florida does right now. I just do. But, I mean, you can even say lose at Florida, lose at Tennessee, and lose to Georgia. And, There's your 9-3. and three. Right. And you still got a wiggle room for another loss, and you still win the bet at that point. Right, right. Which I, I would expect this UK team to lose one more game. Like, my guess would be three or four losses. But, again, I don't see how I get down to that seven number and definitely not six to take the under. Yeah, so we're going over on all three. And, honestly, I – I feel at worst we would go two and one with that. I really do. And I think a sweep is very much in play. No, I would agree. All right, Skinny, moving on to the NBA. The Golden State Warriors are your 2022 NBA champions. Steph Curry took home MVP honors as they took down the Boston Celtics in six games. Now that we've gotten all the way through, we've been talking about it here along the way. What are your overall thoughts on the Warriors win another title? Well, we we both predicted it, but... And I said I was going to take a, a, the Warriors overall, the Warriors in five, the Warriors in six. So I did win a little bit off of that. Not as much as I would have liked with the Warriors in five, obviously. Um, but boy, how the narrative of that series changed about 20 different times, didn't it? Um, you know, early on it was, oh gosh, Boston has no no answers. And then it was, oh my gosh, Boston's so much more physical and they're just punking them. And boy, this Golden State team suddenly, uh, this isn't so much a dynasty. This is just a, a team of that once had a collection of stars that won. At the end of the day, Steph Curry, you, you want about talk about cementing a legacy, if you will. I think that that this series did that to me. Not that he really needed to do it for me, but I, maybe for everybody else, or at least those that were on the fence of, 
yeah, we needed KD, and yeah, they needed the super team. This series, to me, cemented him, and, and it was funny. I saw a bunch of reactions after it from all kinds of national sites um, where they re-ranked the greatest of all time, which is obviously a futile task, but it's still a list, and we all like lists, of, of where people were placing him and moving him into and people moving him ahead of, of Kobe. And um, it was just – it's funny to see how that changes. But to me, Rick, I, I just thought the whole – the way the narrative of that series changed where – yeah, Golden State's going to easily cruise in this series. So, oh gosh, they're in real big trouble too. You look up and they win four games to two. Um, it was a just it was crazy from that perspective, in my opinion. Yeah, and some of that speaks to how annoying the sports discourse can be online and on these talk shows and everything, where it's like each game these people wildly and drastically change their takes and their opinions on things. But in this series specifically, I do think it was a little more warranted, just because after watching the Western Conference and Eastern Conference Finals. I was very much of the opinion that, oh, the Celtics have no chance of winning this series. The Warriors are definitely going to win. And then you watch those first three games of the series and you're thinking, oh, wow, Uh, the Celtics are taking it to them. Like they might really have a chance to win this thing. And it quickly turned around from there, obviously. So uh, you're right. The narrative just changed multiple times. And it was such a sharp shift in terms of the discourse about the two teams. But in some, in some, Ways I think it was a little more warranted this Agreed. year than it is in most years when you're you're hearing those drastic takes. Well, um, yeah, especially the way um, game two and game three transpired, because honestly, yeah. it felt like Boston was so much more physical, found the right answers offensively, and Golden State had no answers defensively for that or the physicality. And so they stole one at their place, then went and won one on the road, and now you're up 2-1 at home playing game four. I think it was fair for the narrative to shift, but... Steph Curry changed the narrative back. Yeah, and and give some credit to Steve Kerr. Yes. I mean, I think he really did a good job of pressing the right buttons, figuring out defensively how they were going to be able to guard them. And part of this is on Draymond, too. He was so bad to start this series on both ends of the floor. And, you know, not that he started lighting it up offensively or anything, but he started giving them something at least. And defensively, he got a lot better. Also, I think Steve Kerr started playing him a little bit less. He started spelling him a little bit more, and they did better with some other lineups in there. So it wasn't a great series for Draymond by any stretch of the imagination, but it, he got much better as the series went on for sure. And I thought that played a big part in it because early on, he was almost unplayable. Yeah, no, ag- agreed. It was just – it was – and, and I think for a lot of teams, this is this used to be the, the NBA I grew up with, Rick, of the of – the, well, I guess I didn't grow up with it, but I guess in my late teens through my 20s, it was you'd get a team that would win a couple of titles in a row, and then here would come these upstart Detroit Pistons, and they would take over. And then here comes this guy, Michael Jordan, the Bulls, and it took them a couple of years to get it right, and then they would take over. And I think that's kind of where Boston is. They're just not completely there from a roster perspective to win it yet. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. People are like, oh, Jason Tatum just completely disappeared. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that is that is definitely fair to say about him. He, he did not play well down the stretch in that series. But he and Jalen Brown are a very, very young tandem still. Like, the, the best days of Jason Tatum are very much still in front of him. And he's starting to make the turn into superstar. I mean, we clearly saw that over the course of this year, and especially in the postseason. He's going to be a dude for years to come. I mean, this is... To me, this is the beginning for the Celtics. I don't look at this as like, oh, they missed their chance. Yeah, it's great when you sneak into a finals and you might not have been ready to get there yet. But the Celtics are going to be a force to deal with in the Eastern Conference for a while here. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's just again, it's just it's it's just not their time. They're just not they're not their roster wise yet completely. Yeah, they weren't as good. And to your point about Steph Curry, it definitely is a legacy win for him. I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, for them to fall off. With the injuries that they had and losing Clay for a couple years there, it definitely changed the way everyone was looking at that run that they had. The the quote-unquote dynasty that they were, it seemed like it had faded away quickly. And I think because of Steph not being a dominant player physically, because he looks more regular and like you or I might be able to have a chance at stopping him one-on-one if you ever got that opportunity, Like I think people just feel like because he's only... 6'2 or something and he's smaller that he's not a LeBron or a Jordan or a Durant where they just seem like almost superheroes it's easier for people to dismiss what he's done to this point sometimes and then all of a sudden you see it him do it again and he was clearly the leader this time he won the the MVP of the series and 
he was so good. He's a little bit older now. They've gone through the injuries that I think it did definitely do something to cement his legacy and say, no, this is one of the greatest players we've ever seen. Not just the best shooter ever, but truly one of the greatest players and the, the driving force behind one of the NBA's best dynasties. Yeah, I mean, you know, they physically beat him to a pulp in that series, and he didn't back down from it an ounce, and he just – it is. It's so funny to watch him play because it just doesn't look like he should have any level of success in that league whatsoever from a physicality standpoint. That, it, like, hey, he shoots it almost from the hip. Um, um, he shoots with that dip method from the hip, and, and it's like, well, he's got to have room to get it off. How in the world is he ever going to get his shot off? And he does, and it's just – he's so efficient – and, and I say that with a lot of long-range shooters, you're like, oh, my God, that guy can really shoot. He's 9 of 12 in a game. And then we don't see the 2 of 13 and the 2 of 11. Steph, on the other hand, it's just so efficient with everything he does, with his movement, with his his shot taking, with his shot making, with his creativity. That's what's so fun to watch to me is it, it literally looks like a guy that you go, I'll take Curry, sure. He's the last guy picked. Yeah, I'll take Curry. And you don't know him, and he's – He's wearing bad looking socks or something, and you think, ah, oh, this guy's not gonna and all of a sudden he's like, wearing Under Armour shoes. Right, yeah, right, right. But holy this guy can ball. I mean, that's what he was just he's reminded me of that since the Davidson days. That's what made him so fun to watch. Um and, and maybe he got in our psyche in that last year in Davidson or that year at Davidson when they when they took Georgetown, uh beat Georgetown and got to the final eight of of you know what? Uh th- this guy we've known now at least on a little level since college. And you thought there's no way that's going to translate to the NBA. Not only did it translate, it translated into a hall of fame career. And that's, what's been so fun to watch. Well, I mean, he shoots with the efficiency of some of the greatest shooters of all time. And yet he takes ridiculously tough shots. Yes. I mean, that game four performance was one of the best performances we've ever seen in the NBA playoffs. It was just absurd. I just love his awareness where he'll catch it and he'll do the little rise where, where everybody runs at him or a guy will recklessly run at him and try to block it. He lets the fly by, and it's just a casual, I'm shooting a layup from here now, dude. Bang. Yeah. The 24-foot layups are just – Yes. We'll never get old watching that, how easily he just knocks down those open looks. But, yeah, it was it was a fun series, honestly. I think we got all we could out of it. I would have loved to see it go seven games and see the Celtics find a way to win that game six, but it just wasn't in the cards. I mean, the Warriors were clearly clearly the superior team. Yeah, they kicked him in the teeth really quickly, and then, you know, the NBA obviously is such a game of runs, but – after getting kicked in the teeth, it felt like they're not coming back, and they didn't. Another NBA topic here. The draft is Thursday night at 8 p.m. Kentucky's Shaden Sharp is the only player with regional interest who is projected to go in the top 10. UK point guard Ty Ty Washington has been projected anywhere from mid-first round to somewhere in the second round. And Ohio State's Malachi Branham and EJ Liddell are also potential first-round picks. No Xavier or Cincinnati players are expected to be drafted this year. Skinny, what would be your take on Shaden Sharp if you were an NBA GM after he just missed the entire season for UK? Yeah, I, I, obviously I've never seen him play, so I'm having to go off the reputation of, of before college. And obviously there's a talent there, and that's that seems to be, I'm telling you, the, the Sharp camp played this perfectly. They just played it perfectly because you know what he didn't get? He didn't get exposed. Yep. And maybe he wouldn't have. Maybe he'd have been a great addition to Kentucky and led them to a national championship for all I know. But I think anymore, the lack of exposure helps a lot of these guys. I think it's going to help Shaden Sharp immensely. I couldn't agree more. I mean, you've seen people talk about him as high as the fifth best prospect on the board in this year's draft. I don't know if he's going to go that high, but there are various opinions out there about him, but almost all of them seem to think he's going to go pretty high in this draft. And, And I always say this when it comes to the NBA, NBA decision makers cannot resist the unknown. That's right. They love the unknown, the potential, the upside, and they talk themselves into these guys every single year. And that's not a knock on Shaden Sharp. In fact, everything I saw from him from his high school tape and everything is impressive. He looks like a really nice prospect, but I don't know. To me, I guess I would just be a little bit more concerned about a guy who didn't put anything on film this year at the college level and we didn't get to see play. He just hasn't done a lot yet to this point in his career. I mean, for me, that would be harder to evaluate, but these NBA guys don't seem to care at all. Yeah, I think I'm in that ilk anymore of, of if you're going to give me that, what does he do great? Does he slash and attack great? Is he just an absolute knockdown shooter? Is he just a a a physical freak that can get his shot off anytime he wants and can, can muscle you down? I mean, 
it feels like we're trying to get all these multifaceted guys who have all these different talent levels and yet they don't do anything great. They just do some stuff. Uh, and I, as I mentioned, I'm in Orlando, obviously on vacation. And so the magic have the first pick and, and I watched a little bit of a sports cast last night and it's the whole debate of Chet Holmgren or, or Paulo Bencaro. And Paulo Bencaro didn't even work out for Orlando. He's made it pretty clear he doesn't want to come to Orlando. Um, and it probably will be the safe pick, I guess, in Chet Holmgren. But what does Chet Holmgren do great? Give me one thing Chet Holmgren does great. Well, I th- I think he blocks shots at a high level. But we're hold on. Let, let's finish up the Shaden Sharp real quick because I want to okay, have a debate sure, about those sure. top three guys at the top of the draft. Sure, okay, I think that's okay. a very interesting conversation, sure. too. But to, just finish off the thoughts on Sharp. To me, it's like... When you're talking about taking a guy who's going to be handling the ball a lot and he's shown impressive physical tools and he can definitely make some shots, but you have the questions about him coming into UK were like, how good is his feel as a playmaker? How good is his handle? Does he know how to play off of ball screens? And you haven't gotten to see those things really at in terms of high level competition or against high level competition yet. That would leave some major question marks for me. If I'm going to be asking this guy to come in and play one of the guard spots for my franchise, but like I said, I mean, that doesn't seem to be the way the NBA guys see it. So I I would be a little bit more concerned, but it seems like he's definitely going to be going in the top 10 of the draft. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I think I, I, I go back to it's just the it's the intoxication of of the raw talent you see without seeing enough against high level competition. That's where I still think whether these guys go to what's the what's the in between of the elite program now? I'm drawing a blank, Rick, that the, you guys have gone the uh, overtime elite. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah, that that either either do that or certainly spend the year in college just to show something. I don't know if I could take a guy without at least seeing some of that. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm with you. It would make it tough for me. You know, I wouldn't want to waste my first or my lottery pick on a guy like that. But that is, I I fully acknowledge that is the exact opposite of the way NBA GMs seem to think. Yeah, and is it is it because they want to be the smartest guy in the room and go, hey, I saw this in this guy? Well, maybe it is, but. You know what? I, I want to see that in this guy. Yeah, I think more it more appropriate or more accurate is what you said at the beginning, which is they've all the other guys have been exposed. They talk themselves out of all these other guys because they nitpick their flaws for so long. And the guy that they didn't get to nitpick. Oh, well, look, he's nothing but upside still. Right. I mean, we haven't torn him down yet. So uh, I, I think that has a lot to do with it. Rick, Joe Burrow doesn't have arm strength. Joe Burrow has small hands. Joe Burrow, look at all the talent that played around Joe Burrow. I mean, all that nitpicking that went on with that, right? That's a good point. We're talking about that first pick there. There seems to be a clear top three at the top of this draft with Auburn's Jabari Smith, Duke's Paulo Bancaro, and Gonzaga's Chet Holmgren. Who do you like the most out of those three prospects? I'm not saying who are the Magic definitely going to pick, but who do you like long-term personally? Jabari Smith. I, he, I, I think we talked about this during the NCAA tournament or when we talked about picking the NCAA tournament. Um, he is Kevin Durant light, in my opinion. And he did that. If you want to draw a comparison, that's what he reminds me of. Um, I, I think the kid's got a chance to be a 25 per point per game score in this league for a long, long time. Now, whether he can guard, whether he can do other things, I don't know, but he's a high volume score and shooter in my opinion. And like I said, if I can identify out of those three guys, what, what, what they do great. Jabari Smith can score great in my opinion. Yeah, agreed. Well, I mean, and he's very athletic, too. He brings some rim protection as defender. Like, he definitely has the physical tools defensively, too, to be a special player. So, uh, it seems like most of the the scuttlebutt is that he would be the pick for the Magic. He's got the lowest odds right now to go number one overall as we're recording this on Wednesday morning. So, but those odds have been dropping. It was like minus 150. Now it's down to like minus 130 something. So, uh, an interesting storyline to keep your eye on there. I think this is a really fun draft because all three of these guys are fun, interesting prospects to me. And I think there's a world in which all of them are all-star type talents. I, I think Smith is really impressive as an offensive guy. I think Paulo, when you look at a guy who's 6'10 and as skilled as he is, he has the ability to develop into almost anything he wants to. The The problem is, I guess, let me ask you this. If he ends up being Julius Randle, essentially, do you feel like that's worth a, a top two or three pick in the NBA draft? The Julius Randle of two years ago or the Julius Randle of his, most of his career? I would say the whole experience to this point. Uh, yeah, no, I would not want that to be my second pick. Fair enough. Or I, first pick or whatever. Yeah. I, that's yeah, that's no, the thanks. guy he's getting compared to a lot. Yeah. Um, 
I've seen Chris Webber too as a comparison. I don't know that he's exactly like either of those guys, but the the Julius Randle comparison definitely has some merit, I think. Um, and then Chet Holmgren is by far the most interesting out of the three in terms of will it work or won't it? I think he has probably the lowest floor, but I don't think people give him enough credit for how good he is defensively and what a game changer he is as a shot blocker around the rim. The two criticisms I see for for Holmgren a lot of a lack of physical strength and the fact that a lot of people compare him to Kristaps Porzingis. And what I would say to that is, one, the, the Porzingis comparison, okay, I get the point there to some extent, but there was a time where everyone thought Porzingis was the next big thing in the league, and yeah, he was setting right. the league on fire. So I don't know exactly what happened in his development or you know, his personal life that sort of changed that process. I and mean, injuries definitely played a role, and I would be worried about that a little bit with Chet Holmgren. But I also think, he's a little bit more fluid at the same age too, and a little bit more skilled as terms of a ball handler and playmaker. So I think there is some differences. And the other side with it being, you know, people talking about the lack of strength to truly be a dominant physical big man that has to guard other seven footers. Well, how many of those seven footers are dominating the game today? Didn't we just watch two teams play that, and neither one of them wanted to play a center in the NBA finals. Yeah. I I think that, I think there are certain teams, obviously, and if he's in the East, um, you know, and maybe he's not going to be asked. Maybe he's going to be asked to play a, a stretch four, and they'll have a thicker guy who may be smaller lengthwise to play inside. But I mean, if how does he guard Joel Embiid? He he can't. But but we're not talking eighty two games of Joel Embiid either. I, that's the thing. It's like who who really does guard Joel Embiid well in this league? And where is Joel Embiid at the end of the year? Like that. That's my thing. Is everyone worries about these two or three matchups you have to face throughout the year, which is really all that's left in terms of dominant big men that are really going to bully you. And yet, none of these teams that have those big men end up winning at the end of the year. The, the thing for Chet Holmgren, though, Rick, and this is where I go back to to kind of what I was saying. He does a lot of things well. What does he do great? And if I'm taking a guy number one overall, I need a guy who does something great. I can see that to some extent, but. I, I mean, he's a unicorn big man. There's maybe never it, been a big man like him. Well, and this is he's part of so the skilled and he's so fluid and he can block shots and then handle the ball. He's just bringing up the floor and make plays and he can shoot off the dribble. I mean, he has tools that I don't know if we've ever seen before. Yeah, he would be a guy that I'd look at on a real winning team and go, what a great complimentary piece he is. But when you're trying to rebuild, are you rebuilding around that? I don't know. It honestly, he, I'm as conflicted over him as I've ever been on any prospect. There's part of me that watches him and watched him last year in college and thinks, I love his game. I can't wait well, to see him in the NBA. I think he's going to be great and he's going to be this unicorn player like we've never seen. And then there is a part of me that recognizes it's like there's a reason probably we've never seen a guy like him. <laughs> it's going to be really tough for him being that skinny to succeed. And like you said, does he do any of those? Any are any of his skills at a high enough level? that he can dominate in the NBA. Yeah, the, and the other thing, and this is this is not his fault, and, and this is not, I don't mean this is a, as a fault of Mark Fuse either, but I mean, they played their offense through Drew Timmy, so how much did you get a chance to see them run things through Chet Holmgren, right? Not his fault. Yeah, but I'd argue that, the, the fact that you saw that, and yet he's still considered one of the top three players in the draft, says something about the type of year he had. Yeah, I'm just, man, I'm... I'm, I mean, I'm it's not like he, he it's not like he was a guy who didn't produce this year. He was fantastic. No, I mean, basically a double-double, 14 and nine and some change and, and a couple of blocks and a couple of assists per game. I mean, that's a pretty nice complimentary piece. Yeah, I, that, that's the one thing is it's not like he is just someone who went to college for a year and he was all upside and all potential talk and no real production in his one year. He was awesome. So, I, yeah, I, I think it's a really fun draft. The other guy, you know, the other guy that I like a lot is Jaden Ivey. See, I don't. I, 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 it's funny you brought him up. I, I like Keegan Murray better, and believe it or not, I like Johnny Davis better. Oh wow! See, I, Ivy kind of reminds me of the some of the the really talented scoring guards that we've seen come into the league over the last few years, whether it be like a Donovan Mitchell type or, or um, your Trey Youngs. He's not the same as those guys necessarily, but those I just think he shoot. is I, a dominant scorer. Yeah, I just don't think he's a great shooter, and I think in this day and age, score is one thing. You better, you better be able to shoot that ball from deep. And I don't know, I just don't know if he did. shot thirty five percent in college last year, which is a nice, nice college number, but it's not a knockdown number. I just, I don't know, man. Yeah, I mean, he was pushing, I think, thirty six percent, and the dude took a ton of tough shots too, a lot of shots off the dribble. 
I'm with you. You need to see him shoot a little bit better as he goes on as a three-point shooter, but I'm not concerned about he can't shoot per se, and he can really shoot off the dribble and create his own shot. I just think he's one of those guys that could. He may not be good enough defensively. I don't know. That remains to be seen, but I, I don't think there's any doubt that he could be a guy that averages over 20 points a game in yeah, his first and, couple and, of years. And, yeah, and back to my Johnny Davis argument, I think he's a great mid-range guy, and and that – Seems like a lost art, but I just I I don't know what I love about his game. He, he doesn't shoot. He shoots yeah, he it doesn't worse. Shoot than, it. Yeah. yeah, he shoots it worse than Ivy shoots it. For goodness sakes, do you, do you really have an NBA team that you follow or one that you are no, into more I, than it, others? It, it, well, it's funny. Again, as a kid, you you have your rooting interest more as a kid, and as, as you become an adult, maybe you don't as much, um, especially in the line of work I'm in, where I just don't have time to do that. I, I grew up as a Kentucky Colonels fan of the old ABA. My best friend at the time loved the Indiana Pacers, and you could get Pacers games in this market on radio. This was when radio was kind of king uh, for, for for sports. Not much was televised. So he turned me on to the Pacers, and I was a, I was a really deep-rooted Pacers fan probably through the, I guess, early to – through the Reggie Miller era, and then I just kind of dropped off after that. So, no, I don't. Fair enough. Yeah, I've always been a Spurs fan, and – they are in a very interesting spot this year because they have three first round picks, the ninth, the 20th and the 25th, in addition to uh, 38 in the second round. But I I've gone round and round about who I want them to pick out of the guys that are available around that spot. And I think I'm talking myself into Jeremy Sohan from Baylor. Oh, wow. Kind of like, which is weird because honestly, if I'm comparing him to anyone in the NBA right now, the guy I would say, you know, in terms of if he reaches his full potential, the guy I think he could be most like is Draymond Green, quite honestly. I don't think he's much of a scorer or an offensive player, but I think he's almost got that like Dennis Rodman, Draymond defensive and rebounding potential as a as a forward slash potential small ball five. And looking at the Spurs, honestly, I'm kind of just ready for him to go the small ball route and play a little bit more modern of a style instead of going with like Jakob Pertl is good. He's been a solid pickup as a big man, but I don't know that he's the answer to getting back on top in the Western Conference. Yeah, I'm going to ask you about one other guy, Rick. And, and you mentioned, actually, you know, we, we mentioned a couple of the Kentucky guys in, in Shaden Sharp and Ty Ty Washington. You mentioned a couple of Ohio State guys. No UC, no Xavier. But there is a UC tie in the first round, potentially. There should so, be, actually. Yeah. Very easy. Yeah. I, well, so interestingly enough, that's another guy that the Spurs have been talked about a lot with that 20 or 25th pick, potentially. And honestly, I don't mind that idea. Like, I mean, he really came a long way he did. last year at LSU and he was coming off the bench, but was still very productive. And I think there's still more upside there as an offensive player. Uh, he continues to expand his range and uh, I don't hate that idea. I think he has a chance to be a decent NBA player at the forward spot. Yeah, I mean, he shot at mid 30 percent last year on threes. He certainly found a way to score. He runs the floor great. Um, he's physical. I mean, there, there's a lot of, I, I, I mean, I, I'm not telling you he's going to be an all-star one day, but it's a nice complimentary piece that can do a lot of things. And I'm, I'm fu- see, and I guess that's where I'm different. You get me to the mid to late first round. I'll take the complimentary piece guy. I just don't like that at the very top of the draft. I, I need a star, man. Right. I mean, if you get a uh, Tari Eason, he, you know, he reaches his potential at the end of the first round, you feel pretty good about it. You don't want to be taking a Tari Eason in the top. 15 of the draft, because I don't know if he has the upside to be a guy like that. But the one thing I look at with him is he's gotten significant. He was, he outplayed his ranking as a prospect when he right away, when he got to UC, and then he continued to get significantly better from there. I like guys that improve rapidly. So yeah, I I would be interested in him around that 20 to 25 range. If I was, I were the Spurs. All right, and I'm going to give you one last guy here, Rick, because I, I, I've looked in some mock drafts over the last few weeks just to look, obviously, at our local guys and and just to keep a pulse on it. And his name's popped up in the, in the first round in, in, a, in a couple, and you saw him play, and it hits close to home a little bit because you saw him play inside the league, in the Horizon League, where you're the radio analyst for NKU basketball, Patrick Baldwin. I love his physical makeup, being a 6'10 guy who can handle the ball like he does. And in theory, everyone tells me he can shoot it too. The problem is he's been injured a lot over the last couple of years, going back to his high school days and then last year at Milwaukee. And yeah, he just didn't produce. Once he got back on the court, he couldn't make shots. And all he wanted to do was shoot deep three-pointers off the dribble and never really attack the rim or, or make plays for his teammates, which, you know, he's kind of sold as this like Ben Simmons guy, but he can shoot from the outside. 
I didn't see much playmaking or shooting from the outside personally in his one year in college. Now, granted, a lot of that was broken up because he was constantly in and out of the lineup with injuries. And I think his dad was trying to hold him out a little bit to keep him from getting exposed. But I I don't know, man. In the second round, I'd feel good about taking a chance on him. I don't know that I could take him in the first round. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. But his name is snuck into some first rounds. Yo, yeah. I mean, he was a lottery pick a couple months ago. People thought he was going to be at the top of the draft when they were just starting to dig into the stuff. Now people, I think, have actually gotten the chance to watch Milwaukee on their Synergy accounts, and they're like, oh, actually, he really didn't do a damn thing. And you know what happened to him? He got exposed. Exactly right. I mean, there's there's no better example of a guy getting exposed than the guy who opted to go the mid-major route, play for his dad, try to play through some injuries, and had a disastrous freshman year. Yeah. All right, one more basketball topic here before we get to some Ask Any Anything. The tournament will announce its 2022 bracket later today as we're recording this on Wednesday morning. For those who aren't familiar, the tournament is a 64-team single elimination tournament played for a million dollars. Anyone can play it. It's usually populated by alumni teams from various colleges with a lot of overseas pros playing in it. This is the ninth year they've hosted the event, but the first time Cincinnati is hosting one of the regionals at Xavier's Centos Center. Both XU and UC have alumni teams playing in the event and are in that regional at the CentOS Center, so they could potentially meet up. We could get a crosstown shootout between the alumni teams here in this year's event. I want to know which alumni team you like better, Skinny. Are you ready? I'm going to read through the rosters real quick. Yeah, I know a little bit of the rosters, but I was going to. Th- I'm glad you did that because I don't have them off the top of my head. I know some of them. Okay, so from Nasty Natty, the UC alumni team, we've got Jacob Evans, Jaron Cumberland. Troy Copain, Trey Scott, Kevin Johnson, Octavius Ellis, Shaq Thomas, and Coriante DeBerry. Okay, on on that so far, you're gonna have to ask me. You're gonna have to answer the question: Is Jaron Cumberland in any kind of a shape to play in this thing? That's what I'm not sure. So he played in the NBA G League this past season, but only like nine games, right, and then didn't right. he have a little running with the law? Yeah, running with the law, yes, he did. So it sounds yep. like he's back. I mean, he's not playing when that happened. I didn't think. Yeah, so, Jacob Ev- Jacob Evans is not far removed from the league, at least playing in some little league games. Yeah, I would assume Jacob Evans is their best player right now. Yes, on roster. And then yeah, but probably- but, but, but Jaron Cumberland, an in shape Jaron Cumberland, and something like this could be really good. Oh, I mean, I would assume he's going to get some buckets in this event, yeah. unless he's just completely out of shape, which I wouldn't expect necessarily. He's played this year, um, and Troy Copain is probably going to be a very solid player in an event like this. Oh. Yeah, a little removed though, but yeah. Well, I mean, he had a cup of coffee in the NBA. Isn't he playing overseas now? Yeah, yeah, that could be right. Yeah, that's the thing for some of these guys is is how much are they still playing, right? I mean, yeah, and I think Troy Copain's got to be making good money. He was just in the NBA a year or two ago. All right, now give me the Xavier roster. All right, the zip them up team consists of Trayvon Blewett, Samaje Kristen, Mark Lyons, JP Makira, Kaiser Gates, Matt Stainbrook, Karam Canner. Justin Martin, B.J. Raymond, D. Davis, and Jeff Robinson. I think that Xavier roster is a ton better, in my opinion. They got a nice mix of big wing handlers, guys that that, that, can, that have played in the league a little bit. I, you know, I know Trey hasn't really, but Trey, and again, in a situation like this, I think it's going to be really good. Um, yeah, I think Xavier's roster is better. I think it's clearly better. So if we're going for the starters for both teams, I would assume for UC it looks something like Troy Copain at the one, Jaron Cumberland at the two, Jacob Evans at the three, Trey Scott at the four, and maybe Octavius Ellis at the five. Yeah, that's I was going to say. The five, you can just flip a coin. But yeah, the first four I'm with you on. Yeah, and then for Xavier, it's probably Samaje at the one, Mark Lyons at the two, JP at the three, Trayvon at the four, and either Stainbrook or Cantor at the five. Uh, both of those guys have been playing overseas, so I don't know who they would decide is best for this opportunity. But out of those starters, I do think you probably take Xavier at least three out of those positions, if not four. Do, do you like the winner-take-all format, or should there be a little bit more cash involved and give at least a little tip of the cap along the way? Uh, I, I think you probably need more money if you're going to give – yeah, more money out to the rest of the guy. I mean, a million dollars to me feels like a good because you're splitting it up amongst all these different players. Um, you know, I mean, look at the, the Xavier guys we just named. What are there's 
10 or 11 guys on that roster. Plus there's two other guys um, that aren't, aren't former Xavier players that are going to be playing with them. So you know about splitting up a million dollars, 13 ways for some of these guys that are playing overseas and have decent contracts already to make it worth it for guys like that to continue playing in this event. I think you got to keep the prize pool at a million dollars, but if you could bump that up to like 1.5 and then give some of the rest right, away, right, to right, other, right, right, right. That would be good. Yeah. I love the event. I think it's, I always thought it's pretty cool. It beats old man three on three basketball that I thought I was going to love at one point. I just can't get into it. Oh, the big three was brutal. Yeah. yeah, it really just didn't work out at all. Because mainly because it's exactly what you'd expect. Some old head hardos that just want to fight, including the coaches. Yes, exactly. And no one really wants to see like guys in their forties argue at this point. Old gray beards. All right. We've got some ask any anything to get to, and there are no sports related topics. There aren't that Good. many topics, period. Uh, but we've got one that has the potential to be an all-time great. I'll just put it. I don't want to overhype it, but it does have that potential. It's a great question. All right, we'll start here. Skinny, would you transport back to being a 25-year-old if given the option? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because there, at that point in my lifetime, I'm working for a small daily newspaper, not knowing where your career is going to go. And I know you can argue, well, there's the excitement of not knowing – I would have liked to have known. I would have, at least I would have liked to have known. So you're saying you want to go back, assuming you have all the knowledge that you do right now. Well, yeah, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Because that's the, that's the thing that gets me. If you're saying you're just plopping me back to being 25 and I'm just like reliving the last, however many years I have no desire to do that. That's a good point. Um, but if I if I get to have all the knowledge and wisdom that I have now, which probably is not much, but at least it's more than I had at 25, then, okay, yeah, I would probably go back and redo it. And whenever you look back and go, boy, I regret this, and I wish I hadn't done that, and we all have that, the one thing that occurred after the age of 25 for me was my two children, and I wouldn't trade that for anything. Right. So. That's the that's the part for me. I mean, you know, I, I had my my oldest when I was in my late twenties, my youngest when I was in my or my, yeah, my youngest when I was in my early thirties. So they both came well after the age of twenty five. Um, well, there's I definitely think, a world in which you take this back too far, and I mean, your wife just says, "Look, I'm done with you, bud. I'm not I'm not marrying your ass, and you uh, have to start all over with somebody else." Yeah, I, I will say this though, and I mentioned I'm I'm here at Disney World, and and so they have this this you know you, you use your phone to click on a lot of ride stuff for some fast pass things and all that stuff. Well, I was having a devil of a time, and at one point I just turned to my daughter. I said, "I wish I lived in 1935." I swear to God, I do. It's so much better, so much simpler. I get myself a little phone on the wall. I call Zebra five eight seven three to get on get Sarah on the line. I don't need any of this garbage, and she just laughed. I said, "It ain't funny. It's ridiculous." She's holding up her watch to the thing you're, for you're her a Apple big watch. QR code and, guy, aren't you? And I'm trying to find. She's like, "It's in your wallet." I go, "No, it's not. This is a wallet." No, she goes. I said, "I know what you're talking about. I know the wallet." I said, "But I don't use that thing." She goes, "You don't?" I go, "No, of course I don't. Why the hell would I?" <laughs> so at the end of the day, because we still had to go to Epcot last night, and we're going to Epcot on Thursday, she and I marched to guest services, and she got me a hard plastic card that I can use. Oh, you're that you're that guy. You're the guy at the restaurant oh, now where they, you, they have the QR codes listed. You go bring me a, a physical menu. You should have you should have seen the look on the girl's face at guest services. And then she looked at my daughter, looked at me, and it was almost like she she felt sorry for my kid at that point. Like, oh, you your old man. Yeah, Your dad's I got one you, of those, girl. huh? Yep, I got you, girl. I'm because initially goes. So we walked up, you know, you can imagine at a Disney what guest services. It's usually somebody bitching about something, right? Right. Yeah. So it's she and I marching up, and we weren't angry we just kind of went up to the to the thing and it was a very short wait she goes how can i help you and she goes yeah i'd like to transfer this and then she kind of looked at it for a second looked at me and then kind of got like a look on her face like oh this will be easy and she goes oh yeah i i can do that that's what you want and i said yes <laughs> i want the hard card man I, I i life just it's too complicated now i want the old cable box where i could actually move across right now i'm in a hotel room we're on this live TV stupid thing I've got instead of cable. It doesn't have channels. It just, it has shows. And then you, you can't like click on a number. Like I want to go back to channel 146. No, what, what is this? So, so to answer the question, you may or may not go back to being 25 years old. You would definitely go back to being in the 1925 era. You no, know, I want to be after the stock market crash. Give me 35. Okay. 
1935. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, if nothing else, you would definitely go back 25 years. Yes, no question. I, I, I pre-internet. Give me anything pre-internet. Fair enough. All right. Uh, as, skinny- as as hang on. As I'm recording this, sitting on my hotel room bed on Zoom with you. <laughs> yeah, we're doing a uh, remote podcast from hundreds of miles away from each other. But yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right, Skinny, uh, the best fast food burger. Who you got? Oh, man. So what are we qualifying as fast food? Are we call, qualifying any chain or just literally like the McDonald's, Burger King, yeah, Wendy's, see, et cetera? Yeah, that's what you, you need a little clarification here. To me, fast food has to be a drive. Like Five Guys is not a fast food place. Okay, me. yeah. It has to be a drive-through at least. Fair enough. I swear to God, I, I this is going to I I'm a huge Wendy's fan. I love Wendy's burgers. I don't, maybe it's just, I don't know why they actually taste like real meat. They're pretty thick. Um, I get a double with cheese, pickle, onion, and mustard, and it never fails me. Never fails me. I think I would go, and this one might be on the border of like, do you qualify this as normal fast food or is it a little, I mean, it's definitely fast food. It's drive through, but steak and shake for me is the best. I'm a big steak and shake fan. Yeah, I'm a big steak, but, but they're so much smaller than Wendy's. Oh, really? I don't. Yeah. I mean, maybe yeah. it's just what I get. I guess when I get Wendy's, I usually get like a junior bacon cheeseburger. So it is no, smaller. I get the, dude, get you the double, man. There's some real meat on that bad boy. That, that, that'll fill you up pretty good. In fact, that'll fill me up to the point where I can't even eat a whole thing of fries with it. I don't mind Wendy's. I'm, I'm fine with a Wendy's burger. I think, again, Steak and Shake would be my favorite, but to me, it's like a little bit better than normal fast food. Um, the the other one that I like, and we don't have them around here as much. It starts around Lexington is Hardee's. I really like Hardee's burgers. Yeah, I, I ate Hardee's a little bit in college, but it was never like a huge go to spot. I, I know, yeah, Hardee's and Carl's is Carl's Junior. I think is the other part of that. Kind of like yeah. the big boy chain has different big boy names like Frisch's, etc. Um, yeah, I'm I'm okay. I can do a Hardee's. I'm I'm okay with it. I, I got to tell you, I, I don't know if I and I only had a half of this. But that Arby's Wagyu beef thingamajigger was pretty damn good. Is it really? So I yes, did not try that. But I, I, I will admit, when they put out the the ads, it piqued my curiosity a little bit. Like, oh, Arby's has a burger now. What's that about? Yeah, I had I I I, um, I split one 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 night, and uh, it was pretty good. Oh man! But yeah, I, I I'm going. If you gave Arby's me a choice, yeah. If you gave me a choice, without question, every time. If you said, here's the five fast food restaurants, choose one for a burger. It would be Wendy's every single time. All right. Fair enough. And finally, we have this question. And uh, let me let me start this by saying this is from our girl, Kelly. And she says that her and her husband have been listening to us. And she used to get annoyed when he would want to listen to us in the car. And now she enjoys she loves you and she enjoys listening to us all the time with them. Uh, We will leave her husband's name out of this because it's kind of unfair to, to incriminate him like this. But here is her question for us, Kenny. She says, how long should it take a man to poop on average? My husband will sometimes be in the bathroom for over 10 minutes and says his legs fell asleep sitting on the toilet. I told him it was ridiculous and he needed to go to the doctor, but he said it was normal. Are you guys going to back him up on this or what? I figured you were the perfect show to ask. Uh, Kelly, I appreciate that question as always. And I'm the guy to come to for poop questions. There's no question about that. We have a brand. I, I think I think if, I think there's a variance to this. I mean, if if I'm not in a hurry for anything, and I've got, I'm a big, I've got kind of a library down there. So if I've got a good book going, and I'm in a good chapter of that book, and I'm in no rush, it can be I, it could be a good 20 25 minute jobby. I may be done in a minute and 30 seconds, but you know what? The, nobody can get to me. The door's locked. The fan's on. I can't hear if anybody's yelling. I can't hear anything else. Uh, there's no, I, I do bring my phone in just in case, but I usually, it's just off to the side. And it's honestly, it's a place where they can't get you, where the man can't get you. I'm always good with a place where the man can't get you. Yeah. See, that's, that's, first of all, I want to hear more about the library you have in your bathroom. What's, explain this to us. Oh, yeah. I got all kinds of book, books and magazines. I, dude, it's just, it's literally, I'll look at one and go, I haven't you have read a that. Rack, in two or, or do you years. keep it on the back of the toilet? Oh, no, on the, it's kind of on the floor, but stacked up. I have it in a nice, neat stack. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So I went back and forth with her a few times because she, her first message was very nice talking about her listening to the show. And uh, I, I said, I need a little more information because this really determines what the answer is here. Do you guys have kids? And she said, yeah, they have two. And I said, okay, well, I think I, that's all I need to know here. 
Well, he's exactly, going in hiding. He's exactly, going in hiding. Exactly. He's going in hiding what he's doing. This is his only peace and quiet. So yes. if there's no medical concern here. This guy does not have anything wrong with him. It's not taking him 10 minutes to poop. No. What's happening is he's going in there probably with his phone or with some reading material like you're talking about. And then he's just scrolling or reading or just breathing and, and staying away from you guys, his kids and his family for 10 minutes. That's what's going on here. I think that's kind of the common thing that happens. Like as dads get older, they take longer time in the bathroom to poop, but it's really just because they're trying to find any peace and quiet. they can. No question. And, and listen, I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, I'm the quick courtesy flush guy. And there may be I'm, that, that point. I might be done. That might be the whole, the whole shebang, but you know what? I'm away from the man for a while. I'm away from the chaos for a while. And I got a good chapter going here. I'm good. Yeah, it, look, it's not. It's not a matter of the length of the poop. It's the length of the of the uh, of the escape, for lack of a better term. Yeah, it's like a little hangout, you know. I mean, it's. I'd be lying if I said my legs had never fallen asleep because I was scrolling through a good Twitter thread or I was flipping through TikTok. I mean, it's it's happened. So I don't think this is a problem for your husband, Kelly. I'll just leave it. There. No, no. I mean, unless he's literally going for the fifteen or twenty minutes continually, then he's got. He might want to call his doctor and not ask us. Yeah, you know the one move I will say her husband needs to be thoughtful of here is you cannot, if you're going to do that, it's fine, but you can't have bad timing with it. For instance, my father, we used to call him the thinker because he would take forever back in the day. And we're like, what's he doing on there? But he would wait to do it before it's like, okay, it's time to leave for our basketball game, right? right? You got to be there half an hour early. This guy... 35 minutes before the game is just sitting down. He's like, hell on, I got to go before we leave. It's like, well, not, not, now you can't take 15 minutes. We're trying to get out the door. And he would still do that. So I will throw that part out there to her husband. Look, don't be making your family wait for you if they're trying to get out the door and stuff over this. But if it's just, you know, your uh, Sunday afternoon poop, uh, have at it, man. 10 minutes is fine. Yeah, Rick, along, along, along those same lines, I got to bring this up. I, I should have brought this up at the start of the podcast. So on this trip to, to Orlando, um, my, my wife and, and oldest daughter drove down because they needed to bring some stuff to her because she lives down here and works down here. My youngest does at Disney World. So they needed to bring a bunch of stuff to her and they're going to take some things back home. So they decided to drive it. Well, I drew the nice straw and I actually was able to fly. So um, Monday I hopped on a, a flight, Frontier Airlines, and it, I was fine. I, I, I didn't have any bags to take. All I had was my briefcase. It was, per, it was the easiest, best way I've ever traveled. And I didn't buy a seat. I just kind of randomly thought, I'm not going to pay your 70 bucks for the seat. Just give me a seat. And I got a nice aisle seat up close. It's all good. Rick, I was on what I would like to call the Disney World Express because there had to be 16,000 small children on that flight. It smelled like I was in, it smelled like I was, I was changing diapers again all over. And it smelled like, I couldn't get that smell out of my, my, my nose till yesterday. It was the worst ever. My favorite though was, we land and the, there's kids all around and I'm actually, you're going to be shocked at this. I'm usually pretty good with kids. They're all annoying because they're all yelling. I usually try to chat them up and get them to, to you know, kind of chill a little bit. Well, a little guy behind me, he was a cute little guy. It was him and his, his brother and they were the first time ever flying and they were wowing as they took off and all those things. Well, then little guy starts to decide that it's time to play. Let's take the, take the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the tray table and sling it into guy's chair in front of me. And he kept doing it, kept doing it. I turned around and I said, do you know how that locks? And he goes, oh, uh, and his mom goes, I'm so sorry. I go, no, I'm just figuring out if he goes out of lock, how it locks. So I kind of diffused that one. So I think the kids were fine. They were eating Pringles and, and, and Sprites. And I'm thinking at some point, mom asks, and I heard her say it about 40 minutes before we landed, maybe a half hour, guys need to go to the bathroom? No, we're good. And they were on their second Sprite by this point, Rick. And I thought, oh, mom, there's no asking now, man. You should have gone. You should have done it. So we land. I've never seen this before. Maybe I, and I've flown a thousand times. Maybe you have. Maybe others who are listening have too. So we land, and at Orlando's airport, it is a long place from the runway to the to the terminal for whatever reason. It takes forever to taxi. So as soon as we land and we start to taxi, I hear behind me, click, click. And the mom gets up. Junior gets up. She starts going down the aisle. Well, the flight attendant goes, um, uh, attention, please take your seat until we've gone to the gate. And he goes, I gotta go. So he spends the next 10 minutes behind me crying. He goes, I'm going to pee my pants. I'm just going to do it. I'm like, oh, God, please don't. You're right behind me. My Lord, don't. Please don't pee your pants. I mean, dude, the second that thing hit the gate, 
She hopped up. I got up with them, and I told everybody in the nine rows of front. I said, "Everybody, hold on a second. This man's got to go." And he went flying <laughs> down the aisle, and and took care of his business. I think he was still in there when I actually got off the aircraft, which was a good thing. Incredible. Yeah, I, the oh. fact that they got up during taxing, I went, "Oh, this is not." Because I kept thinking I should have stopped her myself, but I thought, "Eh, it's not my place. I'll let the flight attendant take care of this." And she did. But the little guy then the ten minutes taxi, I felt torture for him because I kept thinking. Buddy, this is a long taxi time, bro. You're gonna you're gonna regret. But I kept thinking, Mom warned you 30 minutes ago. That'll be a great one for Mom moving forward, guys. I told you, yeah, you should have yeah. gone. You needed to go. Next time, go. Yeah, little Johnny got his bladder stretched on this day. Yep. Don't fly the world the Disney the Disney World Express. You will you will smell poop in your poop and diapers in your nostrils for a month. Well, that's a good place yeah. to leave this one. Yes, indeed. Rick, appreciate it very much. We'll be back uh, next week. I'll be back home. We'll have hopefully some reds to talk about i don't even know because we're now five weeks from the start of training camp so that's nothing to talk about we'll figure it out we figure it out on this podcast we always do for rick boring i'm richard skinner it's been the skinny podcast the weekly poetry edition presented by ryan Kiefer of prime lending <laughs>